one of the biggest questions in a Christian's life is what is God's will for me? God has a plan for our life. Part of, it, part of it is the mysterious will of God, where He works all things in accordance with His good pleasure. And part of it, He has revealed to us in His Word. Trusting in God's will of decree, His sovereign will is good. Hey, welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer. I'm so glad you're listening to this episode today. This episode is 152, and our topic is understanding God's will. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. These are the first two lines of the famous poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. And don't we often face this exact same scenario in our life every day? It may not be two literal roads, but it may be two decisions, and maybe both are good. How can we decide what God wants us to do? For example, what if there are two job options in front of you and both have good things and bad things? One of them has great benefits and is closer to home, but has a lower pay. The other requires a farther commute and no benefits, but it has great pay and is close to a Chick-fil-A. How do we decide which one to go to? Okay, set the Chick-fil-A one aside because obviously you can't decide where to work and to live just based on Chick-fil-A. But this is a difficult decision, deciding where you're going to take a new job. Well, today we're gonna talk about this exact sort of decision and probably you have dealt with it yourself. Today we're gonna head in to listen to a talk given by Julie Morgan at our Regarding Him Women's Conference. This topic is how we can understand God's will. I am looking so forward to hearing some clear teaching and direction on this hot and somewhat confusing topic. The Latin root cis or side means to cut or to kill. Words with the root side include insecticide, killing insects, bactericide, a drug that specializes in killing bacteria, herbicide, killing plants, fungicide, killing fungus, pediculicide, killing lice, ew, suicide, killing self, sororicide, killing one's sister, homicide, killing a person, and decide, killing or cutting off options and choosing one path. Did that last one strike you as odd? To decide something cuts off other options, puts to death certain possibilities. It ends opportunities. But if we don't make any decisions, we essentially put any opportunity before us to death. If we don't decide anything, we can't get dressed because we can't choose between yoga pants or jeans. We can't eat because we can't choose between eggs, cereal, or avocado toast for breakfast. We can't get a job because we can't decide on an occupation, let alone which school to attend to get the education necessary for the job we didn't even decide to do. We can't move forward in life without making decisions. Yet making decisions means cutting off other options, at least for a time. And this tension between the risk of making a choice, which could be a good or a poor choice, and the necessity of choosing is likely what caused you to listen today because you would have decided to listen to something else if decisions were easy. Here's an illustration of the tension I mentioned. About 20 years ago, I went to Hudson's department store with my handsome fiance, Darren, and a handheld scanner to pick out items for our wedding registry. We did not have a very long engagement, and so the planning elements of our wedding were on a strictish time limit. I had a list from my mom, who was a home economics teacher, of things to put on a registry for a well-stocked kitchen and home. 
We walked up to the kitchen and floor, um, to the kitchen and home floor, and I soon realized I was in over my head, literally. We stood in front of a floor-to-ceiling shelving section about six feet long of glasses. Not goblets, not champagne flutes, not fancy decorated glass objects, but hundreds of types of plain old drinking glasses. The list my mom gave me probably said something like, 12 casual place settings, including flatware and glasses, and gave no direction on how to narrow the massive decision before me. Darren, bless his heart, didn't have much input on the matter, other than it needed to be able to hold a full 12-ounce can with ice. That narrowed down my options some, but I was still faced with a bevy of 12-plus-ounce glasses to choose from. I was convinced that if I chose the wrong glass, it would negatively affect my marriage. What if we couldn't warmly welcome others because our drinking glasses were insufficient? What if I chose one and Darren turned out not to like it? What if we didn't get the right amount from the registry? Would we have enough money to purchase the rest or would we forced to have the horror of mismatched glasses? What if the glasses didn't match the plates I had yet to pick out? Which one should I pick first, the glasses or the plates? As you can see, my head was swimming. We spent all afternoon in the store picking out plates, glasses, pots, pans, and bedding. It was exhausting making all those decisions, but they had to be made. It was a risk because we were choosing what to have in our first home and tossing the other options aside. Since I mentioned this was 20 years ago, I'm sure you're all on the edge of your seats wondering what glasses I chose, but you're going to have to wait until the end. So some decisions are obviously bigger than others. Some people listing right now are not dealing with what glasses to put on their wedding registry, but are dealing with much more life-altering decisions. As my glass predicament example shows, however, even seemingly little decisions can throw us into a tailspin of stress, anxiety, and indecision. But God calls us to not be anxious about anything. Today, I want to outline a way to reduce the tension and stress of decision-making. Preparing for this talk challenged my own views of decision-making and has given me a lot of peace, and I hope it does the same for you. When a Jesus follower wants to make a good decision, the major consideration should be what God would want the person to do. After all, Luke 7.21 says that only those who do the will of God will enter the kingdom of heaven, and I know we want to go to heaven. It's therefore imperative to understand what is meant by the will of God and how to determine it for yourself. Hundreds of books and blogs have been written on this topic, not to mention all the sermon series and podcasts tackling the hot topic. And sadly, I think many of them have done more harm than good. So let's first dig into some theology and then confront some common misconceptions about discovering God's will for your life. There are three major meanings of the phrase will of God. One, God's will of decree. Two, God's will of desire. And three, God's will of direction. And those titles are taken from Kevin DeYoung's book called Just Do Something, and mostly it's just because I like the alliteration. So it's God's will of decree, God's will of desire, and God's will of direction. So first of all, God's will of decree. It's also known as God's sovereign will. It means that God has the absolute right authority, and power to do whatever he pleases, and nothing can frustrate or complicate his desired end. What he desires and has determined from eternity past absolutely will happen. Daniel 4 states, he does, 
He does according to his will among the host of the heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. Psalm 115. Our God is in the heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. Psalm 103. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. He alone is God, with the power to accomplish whatever he pleases. One element to God's will of decree is that God knows the end and the means to that end, but we do not. God's sovereign will is, is hidden from human knowledge until it comes to pass. Romans 11 says, O oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Not only do we not know God's will of decree, God uses all the crazy stuff of this world and weaves it together into his ultimate plan. One example is the account of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was the favored son of his father Jacob. His jealous brothers sold him into slavery. He is then falsely accused and ends up in jail. Through a series of events, he becomes second in command to the mighty Pharaoh and is able to store up food for a famine he knows is coming. Through his position, he is able to provide food for the brothers that sold him into slavery and is reunited with his beloved father. Joseph was sold, falsely accused, and forgotten about in jail. He did not know how God was working, yet he knew he was. At the end, God gave him eyes to see that even the evil his brothers and others had committed, God was weaving that into his sovereign plan and used it to this save the lives of many. At the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph wisely stated, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. To recap, God's will of decree is his sovereign will, his pre-planning of all things that happen in accordance with his pleasure. Nothing can change God's sovereign will, not our or other people's sins, and it's not revealed to us ahead of time. In fact, from our perspective, it looks like a crazy Joseph-like mess, and through faith, we see it has a glorious finale. So first was God's will of decree, and second is God's will of desire. This is the way God wants us to live. It's sometimes called his moral will or his revealed will. It is what God has revealed for us to do in the scriptures. Examples include the following prohibited commands. Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not get drunk, Ephesians 5. Do not commit adultery, 1 Corinthians 6. Do not be bound to an unbeliever, 2 Corinthians 6. Do not lie, steal, covet, murder, or take God's name in vain, Exodus 20. There are also positive commands, such as rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4 and Micah 6, 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The Bible is full of God's clear revealed for us for how he desires for us to live. Unlike God's will of decree, God's will of desire can be disregarded and disobeyed. God desires us to love our neighbors as ourselves, but we are free to not do so. God desires us to be thankful, but we are free to grumble and complain. 
God desires us to always speak the truth, but we are free to lie. However, when we disregard God's revealed will to us, it is sin, and we are ultimately held responsible for those actions. I mentioned at the beginning that this is supposed to be an encouraging and stress-reducing talk, yet I just told you that you're responsible for when you grumble, complain, lie, and aren't nice to others. And I also know that we all do these things. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the just response of God to our sin is spiritual death and eternal separation from Him. But here's the good news. Jesus, as both eternal God and human man, lived a perfect life and died an unjust death on the cross so that He might take our just punishment upon Himself. Colossians 2 says, When you were dead in your transgressions, He made you alive together with Him having forgiven us all of our transgressions, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Our sins, when we believe in Jesus, are forgiven, and our guilt before God is put to death. Second Corinthians tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm going to repeat that beautiful truth. No matter what your past is, If you trust in Jesus, you are forgiven by God and made new. Your sins are not counted against you because Jesus put them to death on the cross. In this world, there will be lasting effects due to particular sins. But God does not continually hold our wrongdoing and bad decisions against us. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, and they never meet, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God is not angry at us or punishing us. He has forgiven us, made us new, and lavishes his love upon us. God's will of desire is clearly revealed to us in the Bible. It is known, and it can be summed up in the Apostle Peter's admonition to be holy. The good news is that all those who are in Christ are made into holy and a new creation, one that desires to be obedient to God's revealed will, works towards obedience to God's will, and lives in the beautiful truth that every time we fail, it is nailed to the cross, and Jesus takes away all the guilt and shame. We covered God's will of decree, and then God's will of desire, and now third is God's will of direction. This is God's specific plan for the who, what, where, when, and how of our daily life. Since the average person makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions a day, God's will of direction is the aspect of his will for those daily decisions. God has a plan, and we should want to know it every single step along the way. However, this is likely where I'm going to ruffle a few feathers and challenge some thinking, because thinking through God's will of direction challenged my own beliefs. I'm going to cover five fundamental truths about God's will of directions, but to truly cover this topic in depth would take way more time. Truth number one. God's directional will never conflicts with his revealed will, or his will of desire. Hebrews 6 and Numbers 23 both state that God cannot lie. He cannot tell us one thing in his revealed word, the scripture, but really desire something else. So his directional will, his desire for every decision, must always align with the Bible. 
Therefore, if you want to know God's will for a particular area of your life, first look to what guidance the Bible provides. Truth number two, God does not reveal his directional will for every decision before us. God has hidden his sovereign will and often his directional will from us. There are instances in the Bible when supernatural visions, audible voices, or appearances by angels were given by God to specific people for direction. However, it's important to notice two things. First, these visions were not a normal daily thing even for the apostles. In the Acts record of Paul's missionary journeys, God occasionally supernaturally told Paul where to go. But most often, the Bible records Paul simply making a decision and trusting God with that decision. Example is Acts 20, verse 16. Second, these special revelations never came as a result of God's will being sought. They were surprising, both in they were just given by God and that they were extraordinary and supernatural. It's not a typical occurrence for someone to have angels speaking to them or to see visions, and it still isn't today. God does not supernaturally reveal to us the correct path for every one of our 35,000 daily decisions. In most decisions, God expects us to make the choice with 100% confidence that He is guiding our decision and has already determined how to fit that choice in His sovereign will. Can God use extraordinary or supernatural means to reveal to us His will? Of course! But they are not to be sought or to be expected. Do not feel guilty or less spiritual if you don't get a lightning bolt of confirmation about a decision. In fact, Hebrews 1 says that long ago, God spoke to the fathers and prophets and in many ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son. We should seek the words of God in the Bible as the primary mode for decision making and not expect supernatural revelation, let alone feel guilty when you don't get one. Here's just something to think about. At times, I have wished God would just tell me what to do and I would do it. I wished God would take all the risk out of a decision. But I have to tell you, that's not really supported in my life or in the Bible. I know it's not right to eat a half a pan of brownies, but I've done it. I know it's not right to yell at my kids, but I've also done that. In the Bible, the Israelites were told time and time again that Moses was their leader and God would take care of them. But over and over, they rebelled against Moses' authority and grumbled about God's provision. King David knew it was wrong to sleep with a married woman and then have her husband put to death, but he did it. Even when we know the right thing to do, we don't always do it. A lightning bolt or supernatural vision of God's direction is not going to help us be more obedient to God's will, no matter how amazing the sign is. The Israelites had bread come from heaven daily as a miraculous provision, yet they still complained. So truth number one was God's directional will never conflicts with his revealed will. Truth number two, God does not reveal his directional will for every decision we make. And truth number three, God is primarily concerned with us following his revealed will and not with us trying to discern his will for non-moral decisions, which is a decision where neither option is forbidden in scripture. For instance, the occupation you choose, provided your motives are right and you will be doing right things, is a non-moral decision. So is where you live, where you go to college, where you send or don't send your kids to school, what color you paint your walls, and yes, what glasses you put on your registry. There is wisdom to be found with these decisions, but all options are permissible in scripture, and therefore we have the freedom to choose any 
We tend to stress over these types of decisions, but God squarely puts the focus on moral decisions and His revealed will, following what He has revealed in Scripture. Deuteronomy 29.29 states, The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. Our focus should not be on what is hidden, but what has been clearly stated in Scripture. Jesus reiterates this point in Matthew 6 when he says, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The decision to be in God's word, in God's will, is the daily decision we face to seek God first every day and to live life according to His rules. Truth number four, God controls our lives. Our daily decisions do not. The conventional view of God's will of direction gives the impression that our decisions change God's plan for us. If we choose correctly, we will be blessed. If we choose incorrectly, we will have suffering. This creates anxiety, fear of the future, and ultimately a lack in trust in God's power and goodness. We need not obsess over how our decisions will affect the future, because while we do not know the future, God does. We will not know and we do not need to know every step of our lives. We should be both humble and hopeful because God controls yesterday, our past decisions, today, our current choices, and even tomorrow, the future decisions we have yet to make. And he is working all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's important to truly grasp this concept because there's great freedom in it. My second daughter, Abigail, died from leukemia when she was about one and a half years old. After her death, the thought kept popping into my mind that she got leukemia because I let her sleep on a secondhand mattress and some chemical fumes must have affected the cells in her body. I felt like I had made a horrible decision and it had cost my baby months of suffering and ultimately her life. But that was a lie from the great deceiver. Even if the mattress was emitting toxic fume, which it wasn't, God is the one who numbered Abigail's days before there was yet one of them. I was giving my decision to use a secondhand mattress way more power than it actually had. God is the one in control. Making the right decision about Abby's mattress, baby food, vaccination schedule, back sleeping, belly sleeping, co-sleeping, bottle feeding, breastfeeding, or whatever, wasn't going to change the number of days for Abigail. God had already numbered her days before I made any one of those decisions. Satan will try to condemn us in our previous choices. He will cause the what-if train to run circles around in our heads. But we need to grasp Paul's encouragement in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let the past be finally nailed to the cross and the guilt and the shame be put to death. Trust that God uses everything to conform us to the image of Jesus. So press on toward the upper call. So truth number one was God's directional will does not conflict with his revealed will. Number two, God does not reveal his directional will for every one of our 35,000 daily decisions. Number three, God is primarily concerned with us following his revealed will. Number four, God controls our lives. Our decisions do not. And truth number five, 
While God does not supernaturally reveal every decision for us, he does provide a means of guidance through the Bible, prayer, and wise counsel. God's primary means of guidance is the influence of the Holy Spirit through the words of Scripture, the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand and apply God's words to our life. Of course, for this to be most effective, we need to be reading and studying God's Word, which this is a shameless plug for you to go listen to Julie Van Warmer's session on studying God's Word. When you have a decision that needs to be made, search the Scriptures first. On the back of the handout I provided, there's a list of Scripture to look on when considering common life decisions, such as jobs, dating, marriage, parenting, money, etc. Another way God guides is through prayer. We should pray about our decisions and pray specifically that God would grant you wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any one of us lacks wisdom, he should ask of God and it will be given to him. Note that God will faithfully provide the wisdom for the decision, not necessarily a clear-cut answer. When God's word doesn't speak decisively about an issue, it is wise to also seek counsel of others. Proverbs 19 says, We should listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. It is important to remember that not all advice is good advice, and not all good advice will necessarily be the same. We should seek advice, but always triple-check that advice against God's Word and exercise your own God-given wisdom. I came across two questions to ask when seeking counsel from others that I found helpful, and this is from a book called Decision Making and the Will of God by Gary Friesen. It's a very big book. He suggests asking people with spiritual insight if they know any biblical principles that touch on my decision. And to ask any people with personal experience, did you gain any insight that might be helpful for me as you went, so, as you went through something similar? This helps focus the advice on biblical principles and insights. Remember, you are seeking counsel and not asking them to make the decision for you, although admittedly, sometimes that is exactly what we want someone else to do. God also provided guidance that we need to use a bit more cautiously. In terms of hunches and gut feelings, by all means, these can be an instrument of the Holy Spirit nudging you to do something. If someone comes to mind, pray for them or call them. Just recently, I had a feeling to pray for a friend and her mom, and I did. Later, I texted that friend to let her know, and it turned out that the time I had the hunch to praying for her was the exact time her mom was dying, and I was unaware that her mom was even imminently dying. The Holy Spirit has obviously nudged me to pray for my friend. If someone comes to mind, pray for them. If you're talking with someone and you feel a nudge to share the gospel, do so. But be aware that our feelings and hunches are not 100% accurate, and they are not a surefire word from the Lord. Sometimes a hunch is merely an impression and nothing more. You may have heard some people talk about open doors, open doors or God giving an opportunity, or closing doors, God removing an opportunity. We need to exercise caution when interpreting the open door or shut door. Sometimes an opportunity presents itself an open door, but it is not wise to do it. For example, if you find yourself always running around busy and never having enough time, an opportunity to plan the next big school function may not be wise for you. Conversely, just because something is hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. The relative ease or difficulty of an opportunity does not indicate God's will in a matter. 
God's will for our lives is for our growth in the faith. And God often uses discomfort and trials more than ease and comfort in growing our faith. I mentioned that God primarily speaks through the Holy Spirit and His Word, but I want to caution you about the use of random Bible references. Randomly opening your Bible, reading a passage, and finding an answer to your problems can happen, but is also a means by which many verses are taken out of context and used inappropriately. Just recently, I was sitting at the kitchen table thinking about the need to change my parental password on one of my children's electronic devices. My little ones came downstairs and we opened to our daily Bible reading, which for that day was number seven, a recounting on the 12 days of offerings of the leaders of Israel. Each day ended with the phrase, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five female goats, sorry, five female lambs, one years old. So there was 12 repetitions of two oxen, five rams, five male goats, and five female lambs, one years old. I momentarily thought to myself, is this the password I should use? Two, five, five, five? And then I realized as my six-year-old had just repeated the same phrase 12 times, it wasn't likely God's divine will for me to use it as a secure parental password. I left you on a cliffhanger with the major glass decision of 2000. If I were to revisit that faithful day, what would I do differently now? First off, I would have started my day with prayer and focused my mind on what was really important, maybe even rocking out to a, some of my favorite worship tunes while getting ready in the morning. Second, I would have asked my mom for some more detailed counsel. I would have asked Darren if he had anything other than large as a requirement, and if he wanted me to make the choice instead of insisting that he have more of an opinion because he rightly didn't care that much. I would have looked for cheaper glasses because let's be honest, they're going to break anyway. I would have narrowed the choices down to a price conscious large glasses and then just picked one. Because honestly, I can say I made much of a decision that didn't need to be made much of. It really doesn't matter what glasses I chose because we have broken every single one of those glasses but one over the years. They have been replaced with more than one set of glasses and currently, we drink out of glasses that don't even match. God has a plan for our life. Part of, it, part of it is the mysterious will of God, where he works all things in accordance with his good pleasure. And part of it, he has revealed to us in his word. Trusting in God's will of decree, his sovereign will is good. Obeying God's will of desire, his revealed will, is loving God and a means of spiritual growth. However, to focus entirely on discerning God's will of direction leads to guilt, stress, and anxiety. God's will for us is not to be anxious, but to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and to trust Him to take care of the rest, no matter what glasses you pick. Let's review those three concepts of God's will. God's will of decree. What God plans will happen. Think back to the story of Joseph in the Bible. What a great thing we could head off to read in Genesis to remind ourselves of God's will and how it will happen. God's will of desire, His moral will or revealed will to us, like do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal. All of the Ten Commandments are in here. Also, positive ones. Rejoice, pray without ceasing. We can disregard these, and it will be sin, and we are held responsible but it is God's desire that we obey them. And then God's will of direction. This is the specific plans. 
for the who, what, where, when, and why of our lives, using the wisdom that God gives to us, both through others around us and His Word, and through decisions based on who we are that we can decide in our lives. You know, of all of these 35,000 decisions we make every day, I know this was really helpful today. I found these three different concepts of God's will to be good. I, I think it was really personally helpful. I want to leave you with a verse that I've always loved in regard to conversations about God's will. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Those are three things that we can do today. And those three things are definitely directly spoken of as God's will for us. So... How are you doing in rejoicing today? Are you praying without ceasing? Are you giving thanks in whatever your circumstances are? I think that's a good verse to remember and a good verse to act on because it is part of God's will. Hey, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast directory, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Podbean, wherever you listen and give us a review if you can. It would be so helpful. And be sure to follow our social media at Women of the Word CTW at Instagram and Facebook. Lots of great content on those platforms. And I think you are going to find great encouragement and lots of practical helps. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all the guidance you give to us in the Bible. That is very clear. And thank you for guiding our steps each and every day. May each woman listening today be led by you and be willing to be obedient to your direction through the Bible. Thank you that you really do give us all we need through the Bible to really know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's time for this episode's tiny tidbit. A tiny tidbit is just a small, tiny piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's tiny tidbit is brought to you by Ashley Filippelli. What a beautiful last name you have, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. I just want to say Filippelli three times because it's fun. Actually, <laughs> Ten times faster. I don't know if I should do that. <laughs> so share with us your tiny tidbit today. Sure. So I had a friend share this tip with me, and I started doing it with my children. Um, I wanted to work on increasing my joy, and Psalm 119, verse 164 says, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. So I set a reminder alarm on my phone and with a special ringtone for seven times daily. Whenever it goes off, my children and I stop whatever we're doing, and we each praise God for who He <laughs> is. So like His mighty power or His long-suffering patience. By halfway through the first day, my four-year-old was enthusiastically wanting to go first. <laughs> and before the end of the week, my one-year-old was exclaiming, praise God, Aww. whenever she heard the ringtone. God has increased my joy as I've done what his word says, building the habit of refocusing my thoughts on praising God throughout each day. And it's been sweet to watch him work in my children, too. That is such a practical idea. Just something that everybody could do, whether you have kids or not. It'd be great to set your phone. Mm -hmm. A reminder, let's use our phones for these good things like that, right? Right, as a tool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And it's always good to praise God. So do you have always. special times that you do it or do you just randomly pick? I randomly picked when I started this. Okay. And so it's set times now, but okay. just space throughout the day. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you. 
Join us next week as we hear our monthly mom-to-mom installment. This particular month is called Stretching the Dollar. And I think it's going to be a great, practical, and very helpful to each woman listening. So join us next week for that. And again, thanks for listening. Remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God. Until next time.